and welcome to The Vicar's Watch Dibley. The podcast where three priests link our stories with those of the Reverend Geraldine Granger and other TV vicars. I'm Kate. I'm Jenny. And I'm Ruthie. This episode we're talking about the first episode of The Vicar and Dibley, which is called The Arrival. We're going to go through the episode and share a bit of what it's like starting ministry as a young woman. Hello! Oh, it's so exciting. It is our very first full episode and guess what we're doing today? Probably something to do with the Vicar of Dibley. Yeah, something to do with the Vicar of Dibley. <laughs> today um, we are watching the first episode of the Vicar of Dibley and we're going to be talking about what Geraldine has been getting up to. Yeah, a classic episode where we meet her for the first time and everything happens and all our dreams come true but before we do that how are you both doing i'm full of a cold which is a great start for a podcast recording that i'm all bunged up and delicious so you can say thanks to the toddler for passing this on from nursery or wherever he's gone and got it so hey hey Oh, no, I was going to grumble too and say I've been up all night with my dog who had a bit of a rumbly tumbly, not in a good way, throughout the night. So I feel like, yeah, we both started on day one <laughs> and we're like, <laughs> What would be a rumbly tumbly in a good way? Um, if you're a little bit hungry, I think a rumbly tumbly is all right because it just lets you know. Or if you're digesting, that's the best, isn't it? Because you're like, oh, yeah. it's a lovely meal. Your tummy's like, mm, thank you, nom, nom, nom. Rumbly tumbly is in like, oh, not sure what's going to come out of that. <laughs> if you're Winnie the Pooh and you say, oh, I've got a rumbly in my tumbly, I'm going to go yeah. and find some food. Exactly. It's exa- that's basically like that's yeah, an intro theme to a great meal, isn't it? Anyway, how are you, Kate? I'm doing good, you know. Yeah, I uh, was really tired last week, but now I'm feeling back on top of things. And I had a really fun moment today where I was woken up by um, a Facebook chat for morning prayer calling. And I did morning prayer half asleep. And the people I say morning prayer with were laughing at me. (laughs) Well, that's not kind, is it? Well, it was lovely, Vogue. It's lovely to spend time with people and talking about spending time with people. It's lovely to spend time with you as we talk about the Vicar of Dibley. Should we just jump into it? Yeah, let's Let's do do this. So, really, you have a script, don't you? So you're going to guide us through. I do. I've got this book, which I bought ages ago in a charity shop. It turns out it actually has the script of each of the episodes. So hopefully when we go, did they really say that? We'll actually know what they really (laughs) said as part of it. So we're going to go through this first episode, which is called The Arrival, which is where we meet Geraldine for the first time. But it starts in a church with a service that I've been to plenty of these kind of totally dire services Mm. where you just want to escape. So I have something to say. I'm going to fly my flag as a complete nerd and I'm a nerd about church or I wouldn't be a vicar. Firstly, um, the verse which David Horton reads, we we join just as he's finishing the lesson, don't we? So I wrote this down and I tried to find out where it was because I thought that would be a really really it would make me look really smart if I could say oh yes this is from kings blah, 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 blah. so I wrote it down and verses the wrath of the king was mighty and knew no bounds so they did leave that country and did with heavy heart return unto Japheth and unto Gad where do you think that's from Ruthie and Jenny well it sounds like something from kings doesn't it or chronicles yeah. or yeah like Japheth he's David adjacent isn't he is he? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, don't don't out us like this so quickly, Kate. Well, it's you know what? It, it all sounds very biblical. It like does. you say, that particular verse. That's uh, if then you where's said to me, it from? it's not from the Bible. What? Craziness. This is some sort of David Horton made up piece of no. Bible nonsense. Because no, that's no. I, I even searched, I searched online, I looked through the King James Version online, does not to be exist. Honest, I didn't believe you, so I just searched myself and I 
I've also found that this is this is just a quote from David Horton's <laughs> from the Bible there. But he reads it on the episode, he reads it from the Bible. Like he's definitely I'm now going to read from the Bible and yeah, it's not even a not even a real verse. So oh for, for our listeners, let the reader understand. Even Vickers don't know the Bible off by heart. We'll have to go <laughs> searching and you know, and we can't always tell the difference between something that's in the Bible or something that's not. Although we do our best. An amazing uh, quiz online that um, I've done before, which is: Is this a verse from a Bible or a, a lyric from a heavy metal song? <laughs> and it, it is quite difficult to distinguish between I, the two sometimes. <laughs> I, I actually don't think I could bear to do those because I think the results would horrify me, and I'd just be like, <laughs> I, I don't deserve to go to church on Sunday. my friends at uni used to make me do it my friend uh is a hilarious like really keen christian and she had a bible quiz game and it was like um he actually moved around the board he had characters i think i have bibleopoly (laughs) oh Well, I feel like we need another episode where we play Bible off of the But like, they used to think it was so hilarious to just like ask me the questions or even like shout out a book from the Bible and be like, Jenny, is it New Testament or Old Testament? And I'd be like, New. They'd be like, No, it's the Old Testament. <laughs> so yeah, tricky, oh, tricky, dear. tricky. But so oh. this, this, I feel like this service then it's boring, isn't it? It looks cold. It looks dull. There's like four people in the congregation. The vicar is ah oh, well, he's described as being a hundred and two. And there's something that's pretty bad that happens to him. I mean, it's so boring, he dies. Yeah. He, he literally passes away right he there and then, in the middle of the service. And uh, they just carry on. Yeah. <laughs> so do you I, think he normally, like, it's, it's common for him to just fall asleep, so everyone thinks he's just fallen asleep during the service? Oh, probably. You're 102, well, that must be a thing you'd do regularly. He can't be 102. According to the internet, he is. He's meant to be 102. Well, you get it. Okay, here's my nerd coming out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You can't still officiate uh, as a priest, as a vicar. Well, you could officiate as a priest. Here comes nerd knowledge. But he would have had to retire Mm. as a vicar way before then. So the Archbishop Archbishop Sentinu, who used to be my previous boss, had to get special permission from the Queen in order to officiate for an extra year. He is too old to be uh, having sole responsibility for a parish. I mean, especially if he's falling asleep, he should be allowed to retire, take a break, have a rest, take all the naps he needs. So one quirky thing about this scene, though, that I would like to add in, is I feel like everyone watching would be like, oh, surely that would never happen. Like, the vicar would never, like, die in their church service. Surely not. But do you know, I was chatting to one of my parishioners the other day who told me that one of the past incumbents, one of the past vicars of my church, did actually pass away during their <gasps> church service. Oh, yeah. yeah. So this, I mean, it's, you know, it's comedic fact on the vicar Dibley, but yeah, that actually happened in my parish as well. Blooming it. I know. But I was kind of thinking... I mean, obviously, everyone's, not everyone's dream, but, like, my dream would be, you know, pass away peacefully, surrounded by family. But a good second one would be in church. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's the way to go. <laughs> Worshiping the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And then I'll be dropped yeah, into glory. I get that. I get that. Yeah. I get that. But... Okay, <laughs> it's not sure. You know, I mean, I'm a vicar, but I've got to say, I think I might prefer my bed to, like... <laughs> church and and if i had a choice between like dying in bed and dying in church i think i'd probably prefer to die in bed. <laughs> this has gotten very morbid yeah. yeah no i think like i say surrounded by family and friends is key but like mm-hmm. like the top choice but i mean we can't choose these things can we but still a girl could dream i'm guessing many of us haven't had that experience of someone die during a service but have you had people fall ill or anything like that i've had a couple of fainters in my time yeah, yeah. What do you do? Carry do you just on. carry on like Alex? You have to. You just have yeah. to. Carry. If you're leading the service, you need to carry on mm. and let the other people in the church building do their job and take care of that person. Yeah. Oh, I once went to this service where um, somebody fell ill and it was a really big, big church, really charismatic evangelical church. Somebody fell ill at the very front of church and I don't even know what happened, but the leader of the service freaked out and was going, guys, there's something going on down here. Just don't look at it. Don't look at it. Just, I want you to look straight at me. Keep on looking at me. And it was awful because everyone was trying to look. 
like not wanting to look but you kind of think well I've, I've always got to look because what yeah, is going exactly. on that I'm not allowed to look at and he was like just keep on looking at me guys I'm just going to keep on going and I was like oh my gosh and I felt like on that day I learned you just have to let other people take care of somebody who's poorly and you just have to yeah keep going oh because yeah. by made, pa- it, by, made it worse by panicking and drawing attention you make it worse because you, yeah. it, you're denying the per- that person their privacy and you're making a big spectacle of it so with that dramatic start to the episode we then meet the dibley parish council and I, oh, such a bunch of legends i don't understand what they are so this is one of my big questions. And I tell you, whenever I watch The Vicar of Dibley, this is like a mystery that I'm constantly thinking about. I just can't stop thinking about who are the parish council? Are they also... So for those of you who don't know the Church of England, the way that we're structured is we have these things called parochial church councils. And these are the councils that make decisions about what happens in church. But then um, in village life, um, you also have a parish council who make the decisions about what happens in the village. From what I can tell, they are the same body in Dibley. Yeah. That's, oh, yeah. that's what confused yeah. me, because mm. they do the parish, um, they do the planning applications for mm. various things. Oh. And I think, there's no way you do that in a, in a PCC meeting. No. But then it's all church members. So unless it's all the church members who are part of that, but then... Except it isn't all church members. In the first episode, the people who we see in the church are the horsemen and Mrs. Cropley. And we're told um, occasionally Owen comes. Is Jim in church? No, Jim. I don't think Jim was in church. All right. I could be wrong. No, because we're told it's a congregation of four. Oh. So is that something that the vicar would automatically be on then, the parish council? I've been invited to sit in on the parish council, but you're not, I'm not automatically a parish councillor. Because you two are in quite rural settings where that kind of thing would happen more, I guess, mm. me assuming. Yeah, our parish council runs very separately to our PCC. Um, and they're like a body of like councillors they have their own clerk and like they do all the formal technical stuff pertaining to the village and like the parish but then the PCC is literally just church only stuff like when's our leek pie supper and where's our charitable giving going this year so yeah they run very separately I wonder if that's a slightly more outdated way of leadership for very small villages like small rural villages but I don't know I don't know so my my yeah I think my villages are perhaps a bit smaller uh, than where you are, Jenny. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I'm not going to let's step away from the term outdated. Uh, my villages are sm- my, my villages are smaller. Um, from what I understand, is anyone can apply to be one of the parish councillors, um, and in a smaller community, and particularly some one is as I understand it, as small as Dibley, you could see that all the key players in the community, and one of those would be the vicar, would be expected to participate in the parish council. Though it could well be that the vicar is not a parish councillor, if that makes sense. Do you know who we need? We need Mm. Jackie Weaver. We need Jackie Weaver. (laughs) To sort us out. We have authority here. Yeah. 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 She's okay, well, it orders. remains a mystery to us. It remains a mystery. This will be an ongoing quest. What is the parish council? But shall we start with, shall we just recap who the parish council are? Because there'll be some people yeah. who haven't watched Vicar of Dibley in a while. Um, and maybe when we're talking about all these people may not quite understand who we're talking about. So yes. on the parish council, we have David Horton, who is the lord of the manor, essentially, mm. right? Yeah, and, and chair. Cha- and chair of a parish council. Then we have his son, Hugo Horton. Yeah. We have Frank Pickle, who is the secretary. Secretary Takes the minutes. Takes the minutes. We have Jim Trot. Oh, no, 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 no. Yes. yes. <laughs> we have Letitia Cropley. Oh, Letitia, yeah. Of the knitting and the extreme baking. And she also plays the organ in the church and does the flowers. 
And I thought I'd put in a pineapple. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last one we have is we have Owen Newitt, who is one of the local farmers. Yes. Yeah. So. so, was the vicar on that council previously? Must have been. Probably. Who's who's your favourite person on the Ooh. parish council? I think it's Mrs. Cropley. I, I have a theory that she is she's a wild horse, a dark horse. She knows exactly oh, what she's sure. doing yeah. and she is playing Absolutely. it for all for all her worth. I yeah. can't wait till we get to the episode a little bit later on when we hear about some of her antics when she was younger, mm-hmm. yes. riding on a horse through the centre yeah. of the village. <laughs> like uh, yes. uh, yeah. If you if you really know your Vicar of Dibley, you'll mm. know what we're alluding to there. Mm. I think for yeah. me, I, I'm a real gym fan. Like yeah. I, I feel like I know so many gyms as well. Like I've come across a many yeah. a gym in my yes, life. Yeah. yes. Um, but yeah, big soft spot for them all. But yeah, I love it. Yeah, and I think there's pl- uh, plenty of Letitia Cropleys as well in, mm. in church life who do all the jobs, like yeah. do the flowers, play the organ, and cater yeah. for things. Mm. Um, oh, I feel I have to choose someone different then. We haven't, you, we haven't mentioned Alice yet, have we? Just thinking, because she's not on the council. She's, not, she's, she's obviously not. she's a she's a bit of a beanock, isn't she? Big name yeah. on campus, mm. that Alice. Yeah. Do you know what? I really admire David in lots of different ways. <gasps> what? I know. So badly in this episode. Oh, right. he's appalling. But I think the thing I admire is his efficiency in meetings. Because <laughs> yeah. I know that we have all been through meetings, yes, yes. which could have been an email or could have just mm. been a, a quick conversation that have ended up being two hours long and nothing has been discussed. And I do yes. admire his uh, his efficiency. But my favourite is probably Hugo. I, I, oh. I just He's great. He's got a good heart and he's just a bit... Yeah, he is great. I think David does actually. He grows on you throughout the series. I think by the end of like the final episode, you definitely see how he and Geraldine have actually become friends, and he's grown to respect her. And you kind of and actually, I think that's that's very true of ministry. It's really easy when you go into a place to feel like you've got an enemy, and they become the antagonist of your world but actually they're they're just another person just like you and one of the joys of ministry is being able to get past your differences and actually grow to love and respect someone who it's been a difficult journey but it's lovely to reach there yes so true i think david is a really good example Mm. of people who initially were very against the ordination of women Mm. and then further kind of understand what that means and 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 lots of things i want to touch on that later on we're doing lots of teasers for later on in the episode we are and since we're talking about the characters i just i want to sing the praises just a little tiny praise for frank pickles passive aggressive minuting he's (laughs) he i love a little bit of passive aggressive use of minuting to to undermine someone (laughs) who is misusing their authority it yeah, is it's beautiful to watch. It really is. Yes. But can we all agree that Owen is just creepy? <laughs> oh, so creepy. <laughs> I think he's hilarious. But yeah, I know, I know a bit what you mean, but he's top level dance in my opinion. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you've got to have your boundaries up to interact with him. <laughs> yeah, yes. True. Yeah. Although he is yeah. the one, really, that saves the day towards the end of this yes. episode. I mean, that's oh, the yeah. ahead. But, you mm. know, he's got his heroic moments to come. One of my big questions was who are the parish council? Because they seem to be doing a business of the parochial church council as well. My question is the whole appointment process yes. of this new vicar, right? So they seem to be alluding to it. They talk about someone who has is coming um, very well regarded by the Bishop of Wickham, who I don't think there is a Bishop of Wickham. They seem to have some sort of involvement, but as, as we know as vicars, to become a vicar of somewhere, you get, essentially you get interviewed, and on that interview panel there are representatives from the parish. Yeah. So someone must be in the know on this council. Who do you think it is? Well, 
I was thinking about that as well because I wondered because the the appointment is so quick for this person mm. unless this meeting's happening like months after the previous vicar has died they it seems to be like a week before mm. they they get a new vicar so I wondered about that with all the appointing and, and stuff and I wondered if Geraldine initially comes as an interim minister oh. that she is initially just kind of busting straight away because there is there's been this tragedy in the congregation and uh, that was the only way it vaguely made sense to me that suddenly they have a very quick appointment so what's an interim minister Ruthie an interim minister is is someone who's just there in the middle of something between two like in between two vicars you would have an interim minister if it was a place that required particular support or something like that or there was it was going through big changes and that could be a much quicker appointment than having a vicar appointed it's interesting i i'm going to take a different approach on this i think it was just uh richard curtis or whomever taking the the liberty of this being mm. a fictional program and not oh going yeah, through. of course. Yeah, so, <laughs> we are nitpicking. <laughs> this is where our nerd stuff comes out. Yeah, because we all know that the interview process mm. is held by so many people. So so many people would have known mm. who, if it was real life, Geraldine was that she was a woman. They would have interviewed her. They would have mm. asked her for a mock sermon. She'd have had a look around the parish. Da, 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 all of these things. Um, but I think it's just one of those fictional liberties that she turns up. She's this great surprise um so yeah I think I think it's like I say fictional uh liberty is taken with this process even though I know that will troll the nerds amongst us who know this process as a point <laughs> well, so well yes I mean we talked about this before recording is I started a lot of this um drawing when we were training together to the point where um, Jenny now has my voice in her head when she watches yes. programs like this and she just hears me saying well that wouldn't happen in real life <laughs> Hundreds of them. Um, I guess it's like any show, like isn't it? Yeah. If you're a, a yeah. police officer and you watch Midsummer Murders, you must be going, "Well, that is terrible process, and that's not how yeah. you do it." Um, so we are we are nitpicking, but, but all we of love that it still, yeah. yeah. All of that aside, I think Mrs. Cropley is in the know. Do I th- you? I think she oh. is. She is conspicuously not as surprised as the others. Oh, I've you think she's vibe, the parish but... rep? I think she's a parish rep. <laughs> oh, because I like she, that. Because I she's also the one later mm-hmm. on who says um, things have to change. Oh, that is true. There's good, bad, the good change and bad change. Yeah. Is it time for us to to think about when Geraldine is met for the first time? Yes, it is. That's a good idea because we then mm. we then have the scene where David and Hugo talking about all these mm. uh, the vicar coming in and David wants the vicar to come in and make all these changes mm. and get rid of Alice and all this kind of thing. And yeah. then we get to later on in the same house where the vicar, the new vicar, is coming. And everyone is waiting mm. for what they expect will be his arrival. Mm. I have to say, I think this is such a it's, it's such a powerful scene, isn't it? All mm. the tension gathers, you know, they're handing out their sweet Montiardo or whatever it is. <laughs> I feel like David's again, this this for me is where over and over again he's reinforced of being a bit cheap, you know, mm. kind of bluffing to the other members. And you sort of think, oh, who's this David Holton? Not sure, not sure. Yeah. Anyway, and then uh, I honestly feel like the atmosphere of the whole programme, the whole series, mm. which is no surprise because it's all about her, changes completely when she first comes on the scene yeah. in a massive yellow coat, mm. despite being drenched in the rain. It's just such a beautiful scene. <laughs> mm. um, and like, I think I just wanted to, to mention as well, like the most hilarious thing for me is when she takes off her coat, she turns around for the first time and David Horton literally goes, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> he covers yeah. his mouth and he's like, oh, no, no, no. And it's just, he, he like, honestly, he's like so revolted that there could possibly be a woman in a dog collar. Yeah. And like, it's <laughs> so good. It's so terrible, but so good. Have you had those experiences? Oh, I mean, maybe not quite revolting, but I'm, I, I have had... I think a lot, most female clergy will be able to say that they've had people who have not been able to accept their ministry. Yeah, I've had surprise. Yeah, um, mm. but never like 
shock horror. Yeah. yeah. Not a shock People horror. have thought I've been like dressed it. People have said to me, yeah. like on the bus once, they're like, oh, are you in fancy dress? Mm. And I was like, no, no, I really am a vicar. And they're like, all oh, right. <laughs> I've had really positive kind of the opposite where it's been, oh my goodness, you're a vicar. You look so yeah. kind of too cool to be a vicar. That was, <laughs> I hold that one close oh, to my heart. I love it. I never get to called cool. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, no one's ever said I'm too cool. Mm. But yeah, that's my new goal. Yeah. I think I've had a right mix of, if sometimes it's been really positive finding out that I'm uh, I often use the term vicar even though I'm not mm. technically a vicar because it's what people understand a lot more of the time where yeah. sometimes it's been really positive of oh there's no way you look like a vicar that's really cool and other mm. times it's been well you don't have all the authority and yeah. you shouldn't be doing that role because you're not male and mm. uh, people refusing to go to services that I do and, mm. and things like that um, or because I'm a woman mm. um, but mm. I think this is something that we could talk about on a, a different kind of episode that yeah. we could yeah. talk about for days probably as well yeah. yeah I think it's worth noting though this hasn't completely gone away so this mm. first episode was in 1994 when it was just kind of coming on scene that that women might be priests and become vicars and it's mm. it's not completely gone away still it has lessened to a degree the kind of shock of that but mm. there are definitely I, I've been I've been asked to not do things because I'm a woman mm. so I've had funerals wow. where people didn't want me because I was a lady so it's still something that does still happen but I think the reasons for it are changing yeah definitely and that's something we can, well, I think that, that'll keep coming up throughout this podcast yeah. because yeah. it's it's yeah. just a reality of our lives, like it's, like it's a reality of Geraldine's lives. But what I admire so much about Geraldine is how she deals with this. So yes. she yes. she's yeah. coming in, she knows that she's going to be going against opposition. Like a bishop never sends someone to a place if it really is that sort of direct appointment without picking someone who they know is going to be able to handle it. She has been sent there to change minds and make the change happen. And her coping strategy for this is just so impressive. She has the charm offensive. Yes. The whole making her point of, um, of charming Hugo and complimenting him and building up his courage. Um, and, how she talks to everyone. She makes a point of at least trying to remember their names, but she does, I do exactly the same thing, really shine a light on how, I'm not going to remember your name, but I'm going to do my best. And she makes loads of jokes. And that opening, her opening joke, which really, I think, typifies who she is. Oh dear, you were expecting a man with a beard, a Bible, bad breath, and what you got was a babe with a bob cut and a magnificent bosom. So yes. Good. Oh, so good. What a line. And I mean, it, it works in TV, but if you said that in real life, you'd probably get a message from your bishop saying, perhaps don't introduce yourself as a babe with a bob cut and a magnificent bosom. But it's her confidence that gets you yes. through it. Like, I was thinking I couldn't be as confident as she is. Like, this is clearly one of her skills and her gifts, that she just doesn't let it get to her. Yeah. And you see that throughout this scene and throughout the episodes as it goes on, that she she just has this brilliant way with people and the way she's interested in everyone. And uh, I think this is something definitely that we've all done is had to fake interest in things that people like and eat weird things that we're given mm. and uh, take weird gifts that we're given and all that kind of thing that definitely does happen in ministry yeah. and yeah. she does it with such charm and mm. elegance and she's great she is this might be racing ahead so stop me if I'm galloping on but I guess there's that side where you see like you've you've both so beautifully put like she has such authority and she's so sure of who she is and that she's in the right place she's got that charm she's got that confidence she absolutely jumps over the hurdle of the whole drink thing and goes Mm. straight in for the whiskey you know so we we're thinking oh maybe she can earn David's respect Mm. maybe and then later on in the episode though we we also get a, a a kind of 
view into what it's like when she is hurt you know and she's confronted at the table mm. with the rest of the councillors about this letter they've drafted to say actually you know what we're not happy with who you are yeah. we think it's outrageous that the bishop has sent you here mm. as an experiment and all of us think you're not right for this parish mm. and her response is oh, you sure know how to win the girl do you know what yeah. I mean we get that glimpse into her actually like there are times when she's gonna be yeah, yeah I think yeah so it's like the balance of both isn't it but yeah, amazingly held. But a lot of that, that's what public ministry is, isn't it? You've got to separate yeah. your public self and your private self. And yes. I think, so I'm an introvert. So as you both know, I prefer my own company and I find big crowds difficult. But I make the effort and I create this persona of myself who's able to go out there and talk to people and work the room. But you, yeah. just, you just have to separate those parts of yourself or you just can't manage it's a really interesting dynamic to work mm. out about how much you kind of show of your true self and how much you keep away and uh, I think I've become more and more open with people knowing more about me there's definitely some mm. stuff that I'm still protective about but I find using that openness opens mm. doors yeah that, that oh, yeah. were definitely slammed and closed so for example I'm quite open about my struggles with mental health mm. and stuff like that and being honest about depression mm. and anxiety and all that kind of thing has meant that I've had this incredible ministry where mm. people have been more open about that kind of stuff because I've been willing to be open about that yeah, yeah and- that's brilliant and I found the same thing, actually, with I have chronic health problems. I have hypermobility spectrum disorder, which results in fatigue um, and chronic pain. And actually, the more open, as much as I say, I talk about separating my public self and my private self, I do bring an openness about just my physical limitations and my pain. And that has opened so many doors as well in being real. Yes. And... That's something wonderful that Geraldine does in her first mm. service, doesn't she? When she mm. she talks about that in her sermon, that here I am, completely yours. And, mm. and oh, now this is a good topic, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. So we have this meeting at Horton Manor where Geraldine meets all of these new people who are going to be her parishioners, be her crowd. And some of it is really good and some of it is, well, most of it is just a shock to the people there uh, about who is this woman and how can she be a vicar. And so we start this whole conversation with people about how on earth can you have a woman who's a vicar? Yeah, and actually this is is really on the nose because this was coming out when everyone would have been asking that question because the vote was being passed. It was in the public consciousness. People are still asking today, how can you have a woman who's a vicar? So you have the objections that David makes. He talks about um, Jesus not having had female disciples. Oh my goodness, I was wrong pulling faces <laughs> at, at, at the screen during that whole scene. And then you've got Hugo being this perfect counterfoil, just exposing like inconsistencies and just the surreal nature of some of these arguments. And then you move on quite quickly to this brilliant conversation at the fence between Letitia, Jim and Owen talking about change um, and how they don't want things to change. But then Letitia talks about how things have to change and then you get this brilliant quote of there being about there being good change and there being bad change yeah i'd like to raise a really important thing here i blooming love prawn cocktail crisps which <laughs> me too a disaster i'm doing <laughs> that line <laughs> and, he's like, and i'm like yeah. no delicious jim they're delicious mm. prawn cocktail crisps are great and i think mm. these kind of two seeds with david talking to the bishop and mm. these guys all at the fence talking together highlights some of the kind of initial worries about women becoming vicars. It wasn't a theological basis for lots mm. of them. It, it, I mean, David hints to that slightly, but it's more that the village will be in disrepute and women can't do that and we don't like change. Mm. And, and Jesus has only male mm. disciples, which he, he doesn't. Mm. And 
quite a lot of it is social as opposed to yeah. theological reasoning for why women can't make us. Mm. So when we're talking about the fact that Jesus did have female disciples, what are we actually meaning by that? We have the 12 named disciples. Jesus is, I like to think about it being his youth group on tour. Jesus <laughs> and the lads on tour spreading the good lads, news lads, of lads. the kingdom. But so you have the named 12 disciples and that's a really symbolic naming um, to correlate with the 12 tribes of Israel. But as well as the 12 disciples, it wasn't them just traveling as that small group of 13. You had a whole host of others traveling with them to learn from the rabbi Jesus. And among them, we have women who are named, mm -hmm. who we know are there to listen to and learn from Jesus. So we've got people like Mary Magdalene and some other Marys. And we have Mary and Martha, who are Jesus' friends, um, sisters of Lazarus as well. So... Although they are not part of the named 12, they are part of that wider entourage of learners around Jesus who are following his way. And Jesus does send them out and he sends out women he meets, like the woman, the woman who meets at the well, to spread the good news of the kingdom. And it's actually a woman who first encounters the risen Christ and spreads the news of the resurrection as well. Absolutely. I love the theory or the idea that... The disciples, after Judas dies, decide they need to be back to be a 12 and they vote in and draw lots mm. as to who this person is. But I love the theory that that person was supposed to be Mary Magdalene mm. because she was the first one who saw, who believed and who told the story. Mm. And she, yes, she didn't have a deep theological understanding of what the resurrection meant mm. at that point but she just runs and tells people I've seen the Lord and I just oh, think yeah. that's mm. just beautiful in fact I've got a stole which is mm. uh, what vicars wear when they do communion it's like a big scarf that goes around them mm. and my stole for Easter has got an image of Mary Magdalene on it and the words mm. I've seen the Lord oh um, that's beautiful yeah made by my mother-in-law so it's shout beautiful. out Liz Thank you very much. <laughs> and actually, there's lots of evidence for women being active in leadership in the early church. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and financially funding as well, the ministry yeah. of Jesus as well, and the wealthy women. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we can't, get, we can't ignore Paul. Paul does say some fairly explicit things about women in leadership. But at the same time, although he does talk about not allowing women to preach, which is in a context of women not necessarily being theologically, theologically educated and we don't know the exact nature of that particular context. He does also commend Junior mm -hmm. as an apostle yeah. later on. So Paul himself seems to not be fully convinced either way. Yeah. Ooh, and Junior is a female name, which mm. other translations changed to Junius because they thought there's no way that oh, it's yeah, to be a woman. Yeah. So they're talking about all these reasons as to uh, why they're not sure that a woman can be a vicar. And then we meet Geraldine and Alice mm. in the vestry talking about the service mm. and what they, uh, what kind of crowd they're pulling here yeah. on a Sunday, which is definitely <laughs> something you. I ask as well. Yeah. And I love this as their first kind of scene of their relationship building and the, the mm. strong bond of friendship that yeah. comes between these two people. Although I'm slightly confused as to her role in lots of ways. So Alice is named as a verger, but she also seems to have this bizarre role where she might be the church warden. And I don't quite understand that, but I'm going to go over to Kate to explain those terms of verger and church warden. A verger? Verges, which is a really unhelpful thing to say. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, from my understanding of verges I've known, the verges I've worked with, it's a very operational role, helping the church to run, helping the clergy to do their jobs. Um, yeah, keeping things running. See, I think the majority of churches that I've been in, verges have been a, a term that's been used for people essentially who are welcomers mm. to a service and are maybe doing kind of odd jobs around. But 
Alice seems to have a more significant role than that. Yes, so actually um, there's two aspects to being a virgin. So you have that operational side um, and then there's a ceremonial side. So when I talked about a virgin verging, that's actually they hold their stick and kind of direct the bishop around when the bishop visits. They're, they're kind of... So uh, if yes. I've had services where someone is a verger for the service and they're kind of helping direct people more like a steward. I love that we have sticks for people. I can see why we're so backwards <laughs> in so many ways and, and people are confused about us standing mm. up and the silly things that we wear and why is that person wandering around with a stick mm. and we just see it as, well, not always, but we see it as vaguely normal that someone's just shuffling the bishop round with a stick. <laughs> I do love it. Like in a cathedral, I remember being like, oh my gosh, ordination, big service of the year. Everyone's in their clothes and the sticks are out. What I do love about that, though, is it's almost impossible to get it wrong. If you're following someone yes. with a stick, you're like, cool, I know I'm definitely where I'm going. <laughs> it's like the um, tour guides with their umbrellas, yeah. isn't it? Up yeah. in the air. <laughs> That's essentially what Follow a the person does. with That's the stick. That's the best way to explain it. Yeah, exactly. And actually, exactly. one thing I love about this scene... Um, Geraldine does the classic vicar move of having a recce round the vestry, looking yes. in all the cupboards, mm. trying to find things. This is exactly what I do. You know, you go in, you put, you, and you're really nosy about everything. And what I love is yeah. her glazed smile of horror when she realizes that they're using Ribena instead of communion wine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember it well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We have strict rules as to what you are supposed to use for communion wine and what percentage mm. it's supposed to be and everything like that. And it's in like canon law, isn't it? So it's proper law of the land. You must obey and this. I got in trouble about that once, yeah. sort of. Um Did you use Rabina? I was so this was before I was ordained. Um I helped organise this really big uh, youth conference with bishops attending to look at how at young people in the church. And I kind of had, I was supposed to be organising communion. And it was a really loud, large crowd. And I just didn't know, like, you weren't supposed to, that you had to use a specific type of wine. So I was like, yeah, we'll use Ribena because it'll go further. And then I got a call from the bishop's chaplain oh. saying, I heard you using Ribena. You can't use Ribena. I'll have to bring, I'll have to bring some communion wine. Oh, I have never forgotten. <laughs> Absolutely. <gasps> Goodness me, Kate. Shocking. And I'd also really love a pastor art Jesus for yes. my wall. Art is her forte. That mm. picture is incredible. It is. It is lovely, actually. I, I think, that, do you know, there's some like addictive phrases of Geraldine. And I feel like that. Do you know? Like she comes out with some real. Like when Alice is like, oh, is it, I think it's the Reverend Puzzle told her that she was uh, an <laughs> yes. undiscovered genius. Yes. And like, and it's so sweet that mm. Geraldine. I don't know. She's mm. she's always on side, but it's always like she's always taking the mick just yeah. a tiny bit, but in like such a loving way. Oh. And yeah. I had a very similar situation once where someone was showing me their drawings uh, where they thought they were an undiscovered genius and I I don't know lots about art but I suspect they weren't and so I had to be very polite just looking through their sketchbook. Uh, <laughs> I that think is, I should that have remembered that line. That is Vicar <laughs> yeah. I have to say, isn't it, sometimes? Yeah. And then Geraldine acting out pilot interviewing Jesus in that kind of mastermind fashion yes so yeah catering genius of course that's what Jesus specialist subject would be and you can see her disappointment that Alice doesn't quite get all the levels of comedy there like Jesus not knowing how many loaves and fishes it takes to feed 5,000 which yeah. Oh, yeah yeah of course he doesn't know because it only yeah. takes him a few <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and as well I love that bit where she shows her vulnerability mm. and she just goes we're going to be mm. alright Alice and, and yeah. the, that bond that support of women supporting women yeah. 
it's great and I love but it. But also how important your verger or your warden is in ministry. Yes. I would not be able to do my job without the support of my fantastic family of wardens, seriously. Oh, yeah. 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 The, there are people in church who are absolute gold mm. dust, aren't they? And yeah. finding them is so important and knowing those people who, yes, will challenge you, mm. but have got you back and who will love and support you and check that you're doing all right. Those people are wonderful and every vicar needs at least one, preferably 20. (laughs) (laughs) So after that scene where they're in the vestry, we go to the parish hall where we have the extraordinary meeting of the parish council and everyone's there apart from Geraldine and they talk about how, well, David talks about how he has created and drafted this letter from the whole parish council saying they refuse to be an experiment ground for women clergy and that they're going to send this letter to the bishop and say we want rid of her. I have to admit I watched this the evening after I got ordained. Uh, Um, I think I felt like it was a mistake because I cried so much. Like it was just such a painful moment of oh yeah. 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 Do you remember that first time when you suddenly realised that not everyone was gonna support you and be on your side for getting ordained? Because I could remember that moment really, really clearly. Yeah. I was at a conference where it was called Call Waiting or something like that. And it was all about young people exploring vocations and how they uh, they might look to, to being ordained or, or whether it would be a different role that they go for. And I remember sitting in the kind of like bar area. I don't think it was quite a bar. Um, like a sitting room and just chatted to some people and there were two blokes there and it was me and another lady and they were explaining why they didn't think we should be ordained because we were women on a conference about seriously about people exploring ordination and it it just suddenly because everyone else had been so supportive Mm. mostly so far and then just to suddenly be hit by the fact that ah there are still there will still be people for a very long time in your ministry who will think you are subpar or you do not have any authority or have cheated your way into the system and are ruining the Church of England for other people because of your gender. Mm. Yeah, and I, I definitely had that um, the summer before I went to university. I'd already done sort of call waiting again. Um, and I was a youth worker at the time and I was helping out with some youth groups from different churches that I hadn't been involved with before. And there was a really clear conversation where someone said, why are you doing that? You're not meant to do that. You're a woman. Yeah. Um, and then, but I think what hit harder was later on after I'd been ordained and the first time someone refused to receive ministry from me. Mm. Um, that was really hard. Yeah. How about you, Jenny? Yeah, I'm trying to think, actually. Uh, nothing comes to mind as, like, the first time when I realised that not everyone would be on board. And I'm not sure if it's just because, like, my mind's wiped those experiences out. Um, and I think, yeah, there are people in my um, diocese, in my deanery, who still uh, don't feel that they can support uh, women in ministry. And I think I have been on a real journey, like, in my university days, pre-ordination, starting to explore a calling, I was really quite like angry and almost almost like not aggressive but almost like ardently angry and overrighteous perhaps about women being in ministry and being included and you know women and men revealing who God is together across all the differences that we have as humanity but I feel like as I've kind of continued in ministry and stuff it, that those things I don't know why but they like not bother me less like I still get really riled up but I think I'm like I feel like I don't know it does upset me a little bit but I'm more like I have the capacity to hold all of that because I kind of feel like I I don't know I'm not confronted with it day to day I'm surrounded by people who are so supportive and so when it does happen I'm like oh yeah there are still some people that are like Mm. that but like holding them it sounds a bit cheesy but like holding them with love and like compassion and being like well actually there's room for all of us 
But I think if that had happened to me early on in my calling, it would have super maybe even shut doors for me. Yeah, it's definitely a, a resilience that I think grows. I think the more, the longer you are in ministry um, and the more confidence you grow, the more people you surround yourself with who support you and encourage you, mm. the less hard it is when you encounter the people who aren't going to like you. I think it's one of the biggest lessons I felt I learned in curacy was that you just can't please everyone and there will be people who don't like you. There will be people who will be upset with you and you just have to keep on doing the good work. And I think sometimes it's not just about them not liking you because they might like you as a person mm. but just don't see the... I can't think of the right word. They don't think your ministry is valid? Yeah, that, mm. you know oh, you're a very nice person, but you, you can't do what you're doing. I find that really difficult. Yeah. I think that is the challenge, isn't it, to change people's minds, as Kate said, to keep on doing the good work. Like, I'm thinking about David Horton has that sign, nothing sicker than a woman vicar, as in, like, this is terrible, <laughs> this is terrible. And nowadays, I'm like, nothing sicker than a woman vicar. Yeah. Like, isn't she awesome? Yeah. Says Jenny as she skateboards and does a kickflip <laughs> oh, I'm a sick so, like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> but as in like mm. I, that is almost like it, the, the calling is harder in a way because you have to prove to people actually not prove to people but just in by being who you are there's so much that you're telling people about who God calls and why God calls them just in just by being you and I yeah. think authenticity you know that's so so important and yeah it's up to it's almost up to us to kind of change those um ideals mm -hmm. and allow people to just in their own time ponder with god um yeah hopefully mm -hmm. potential change in theologies that are perhaps a bit more difficult for people so let's go back to this scene what i love is actually i mean we talked jenny you talked about how vulnerable um geraldine does get in this scene but even then she does hold it quite gently Definitely. and she's she with grace yeah um I absolutely love Geraldine in this scene. Things from that that comment that goes almost under the radar about how the church finally owning up to how most of the priests are gay. Yeah. And that's just not addressed at all. Yeah. And I'm sure we, we need to have a conversation at some point about LGBT inclusion. And, yeah. But, you know, I just, I love that. And I wish, you know, I wish it had had more attention but it just slips under the radar yeah. and her amazing jumper her yeah. jumper which somehow she's found a jumper that doesn't hide the clerical collar Do you know I, i've it. always said um to anybody who can possibly knit or sew the one thing i would love is the jumper from that first episode and i know Jody's design thank you my grandma missed it she's blind i love the way she says it. it's so <laughs> funny but i've yeah i've always wanted mm. um i've always wanted one of those jumpers so they read all the letter, they go through it all, and then Owen comes and saves the day, creepy Owen, by suggesting perhaps they didn't vote on this and they need mm. to need to vote on it and everyone's suddenly thrilled that they get the, the second chance to have Geraldine. Definitely. Yeah. It's a classic example of power dynamics. Yes. In this sort of meeting, isn't it? Where you have the loudest person sort of dominates everything and therefore assumes that they are the majority. Yes. And then you have a sudden turnaround where as soon as that loudest person has been undermined, everyone comes out as not having been in support. Mm. Yeah. And you definitely get people like David like this in churches and other organisations where they are the loudest voice and mm. actually what they think represents everyone doesn't necessarily mm. represent everyone and there's that big challenge isn't there for people when they find out that they're not in the majority so we go to the sunday service and uh we start in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen, amen. and we hear a crowd of people in the church <laughs> Instead of the usual four. Yes. And uh, we're all shocked with the number of people mm. there. And this line that Geraldine says about, mm. I would like to start by singing Zippity-Doo-Dah. Mm. I can just imagine Jenny saying that oh, at the so beginning much, yeah. of a service. That's such well, it, a Jenny line. It's funny you, you should say that. I feel like in my curiosity 
post, like when I was a curate, so when I was very first practicing what it was like to be an ordained minister, I based my introduction on this kind of opening and sermon <laughs> because after she wants to sing, that is the truth. After she sings, she wants to sing Zippy Doodah, she talks about being there for her parishioners whenever mm-hmm. they need her. Doors always open 24 7. And I remember watching that and being like, yes, I aspire to that. That is, a, that is the person who I'm supposed to be. That's what I want it to be like. And then coming into ministry and being like, aha, this will have to look very slightly different. Mm. It needs to be sort of 20 hours rather than 24. Yes. But as in like, but her, that captivated my mm. heart. And I was like, yes, that's, that's who I am. That's what I want. Mm. That's exactly yes. what I want to be like. Um, so yeah, both with the zippity doo dah and her kind of like, here I am available for you. I was like, that is the heart of ministry. But obviously, I know we need to unpack what that means for boundaries because yeah, yeah, that's a big conversation. Yeah. But that's the thing, isn't it? Actually, that's I think that's what we all aspire to be is we want to be those people who are giving and caring and love the the people that we're working with. But actually. In order to do that, boundaries are really important and days off are really important and turning your work phone off and stopping answering emails is really important yeah. for us in order to flourish, uh, to be what we be. And Geraldine says in her sermon what she thought she was going to be before she decided or she read the sermon mm-hmm. on the mount and decided she wanted to be a vicar. So my question to you two is what <laughs> did you expect or want to be? Apart from obviously supermodels, uh, as Geraldine did, what were you hoping to be before you became Vickers? So I, like you, Ruthie, I felt the call when I was really young, about 16, 17. Um, Before that, I wanted to go into publishing. Ah! I just, the idea of being paid to read books all day publishing is a lot more than that but you know I was a young teenager when I got this idea so um, it seemed like a dream job sounds the dream yeah what about you Jenny when I was growing up I think midwifery captured my heart like I love I did like child development (gasps) school and one born every minute and I was like oh yeah so yeah I think midwifery nowadays I think if I could be another job it would have been midwifery I just yeah Um, you would be a stunning midwife I think there's a lot of similarities between being a midwife and being a priest. Well, but that's a whole other podcast. Midwives of the spirit. <laughs> and what about you, Ruthie? What did you want to be? I always thought I'd be a teacher. Uh, I oh. thought I'd either do primary school or teach English and drama, uh, which is oh yeah, uh, what my mum did for 25 years. She was mm-hmm. a teacher, and so I always thought I'd follow mum's profession. But in the end, I've followed dad's instead. Who's a vicar? <laughs> so. I just keep it in the family. And we've talked about our our childhood teenage aspirations for jobs. But actually, I think we've had this conversation before where actually if we look back, there were inklings in our childhoods of like oh, the games we yeah. play. Because yes. like, I most definitely took a BCP home from church one week and played communion with my teddies. Oh. Like, I definitely did that. What about yeah. <laughs> Whereas I semi-drowned my brother in the bath trying to baptise him. I held funerals for all my guinea pigs that died. And just like, never thought anything. I was just like, that's what you do. That's just what has to happen. My mum would dread it. She'd be like, oh, Jenny, please don't. Because I'd bring out the other guinea pig that was still alive. And she'd be like, no, it's too sad. But yeah, just part of the way of life. It has to be done. Oh, that's beautiful. And actually, when you when you start tracking these threads, you know, I talked about how... I didn't want to be a vicar, but really, if you look back, I was always on that path. All the things I yeah. enjoy doing, I love doing. God was working through that. And I've reached yeah. a point where I'm doing something I love and I couldn't see myself yeah. doing anything else except the odd fantasy I have of working in a bookshop. So we get this picture that Geraldine pictures of just suddenly being captured by what it would mean to be a priest. And yeah, it's a great job. Yeah. It's yeah super stressful and exhausting at times but it is one of the most brilliant jobs ever can i introduce one final nitpicking geeky moment oh here comes the nerd the hymns on the hymn board the numbers don't match with the hymn numbers that she announces (laughs) (laughs) so the service finishes and the the parish council gang all gather in the vestry which is 
the bit of the church which where vicars get ready and all this kind of thing it's called the vestry and they're all there saying top marks you're going to be brilliant yeah well they they come in after the service aren't they everyone's delighted oh going oh well done vicar well done vicar and it's almost mm-hmm. like the, the the viewers are cheering along with Geraldine we thought it was the end yes. of the road for her didn't we and then we're joining in like you say with all of the um all of the members of the parish council mm-hmm. congratulating her and I, I wonder to like what extent is this every vicar's dream mm-hmm. it's like everyone hears oh there's a new vicar coming there's a new vicar coming and then your church is just like packed on the first mm-hmm. Sunday that's got to yeah. be like, a fantasy yeah. for vicars it's glorious so at the end of this episode i feel like we've really established the themes of what the whole series is going to be about you have these tensions um these tensions between geraldine and david the tension between the traditional and change and you have geraldine being a person of fun who's confident who's going to attack all the problems with joy and aplomb. And we've also established that all those themes which are still constant in our ministries are tensions of what it's like to be a young woman in ministry, how we encounter resistance, but also the joys that we have as well. Yeah. And it's all about love, isn't it, mm. in the end? You, know, yeah. you love people and you love God. That's your job. Yeah. And that's fantastic it's blooming difficult at times but it's great we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the vicars watch dibley thank you to toby for editing our ramblings any views expressed in this podcast are our own and don't necessarily represent those of the church of england or any other organizations with which we are affiliated and as always bless you for listening why it was Yorkshire tea banned in communist Russia? I do not know. I don't know. Because property is theft. Oh. I, I don't think we're clever I enough to get that joke. This. I knew it. this feels like more like a, a GCSE history question to me. This I'm so sorry, Caitlin. Property is theft. You're yeah. surrounded oh, the by... the communist manifesto, property is theft.